have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 17, I think. I think we'll figure it out. So last week we looked at uh, Jesus' family tree. We looked at it kind of uh, really at the two main characters, uh, most well-known characters in that tree. We looked at uh, uh, David, uh, the king of Israel, one of the greatest kings that uh, the nation of Israel has ever seen. He's the one that everyone talks about. And, of course, Abraham, who is the father of the entire nation. And so we looked at those two family uh, sort of patriarchs and how that was incredibly important then uh, to the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse 17, it ended saying that these were the generations uh, that they were 14 uh, from uh, Abraham to David and then 14 from, the, from David to the, uh, the uh, diaspora or to the, the, the exile. Uh, and, so, uh, and, and then from the exile to Christ, there was another 14 generations. And so Matthew did a job of essentially reading the birth of Jesus in historical accuracy. If you were to go and to, to pull out uh, any other uh, sort of extra-biblical materials uh, of this time period, you would find some of these characters and some of these family trees. And so uh, Matthew did a job of rooting his story within a, uh, a specific time frame and with a, a specific historical narrative. And so that's what we really looked at last week. And this week what we're looking at uh, is the character of Joseph and the stories. Now, uh, how many here felt sorry for Joseph just a little bit? Just a little bit. Doesn't have to be a lot, but you feel sorry for Joseph just a little bit. Um, remembering that at the beginning of the story that we've read for us, uh, he didn't get a lot of warning. Mary just came to him. He hadn't yet had his vision. We'll get into that in just a little bit. And so uh, he shows all the hallmarks of actually an all right guy. Um, and, and we'll get to that. But, but today what we're going to look at is these uh, sort of three ways uh, in which Joseph showed courage. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man, uh, being a just man rather, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which she conceived is uh, in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, uh, it says that he was a just man. Now, if you are a gentleman or a lady, and you come together and you're betrothed, and you have not yet known each other or had sex, and the woman says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant, usually the man has a little bit of a reaction. Just a little bit. This is, this is not, men are not prone to overreact much. And so Joseph, it, it goes to say that he was a just man, and he's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, if this is someone else's baby, obviously, um, I'm not going to be able to marry you because you, you are sleeping around, so I can't marry you and put my family name onto you. And so it says that he's going to divorce her quietly. And so the, the word divorce there is different from our modern concept of divorce. Our modern concept of divorce is after you are married type of thing. This was a way of Joseph of being able to end 
his betrothal to Mary and saying, you know what, uh, it was sort of a marriage contract between families, bringing these two families together, and Joseph was able then to, to use this almost as a clause to say, look, something's happened that we didn't anticipate, and so we're just going to quietly put an end to it. Under Levitical law, he was within her rights to take her to the, the stone, uh, to the, the market center or to the gate of the city and actually have her put to death through stoning. Uh, because she had been unfaithful, because she was just pregnant, uh, she was the child, she was pregnant. Uh, and so rather than uh, uh, killing Mary, his betrothed, and whoever's child is this, he puts it in his mind to divorce her quietly. And so already just uh, you sort of get this understanding. Um, now in today's society, that situation would seem rather barbaric. Oh, she's pregnant, why are you going to just like kick her out to the curb now? Like, the, it seems a little weird in today's culture, but you have to understand their culture and the fact that Joseph here uh, is actually doing the right thing, and he's, he's showing that he is a just man and a godly man. So not only does he have these rights under the law, but he also recognizes that life is precious, both uh, the life of Mary and the life of this unborn child. And so rather than killing both of them, he says, I'm just going to divorce you quietly and put it off to the side and not make a big splash. And so he knows his rights under the law and yet decides to show mercy. And that's why I kind of like Joseph here. Like, a lot of the times, you, Joseph sort of like, uh, he's over here to the side and he's sort of the <laughs> character, you know, in the story. Like, it's all about Mary, right? She's the one uh, who gets chosen by God. She's the one that is con has conceived through the Holy Spirit. She carries Jesus. She's the one that gets to ride the donkey. Like, it's all about Mary. That's her story. And Joseph is sort of just the one, you know, that country Joe, it, who is like leading Mary now on the donkey, and that's his, his part in the story, but he showed great courage. Joseph had to believe that God is a God of miracles, because this truth on its uh, own merit is unbelievable, right? How many people, uh, if your spouse came to you with a story, not even a uh, Holy Spirit conception story, but just a story, you would look at the spouse and be like, I don't think so, right? I don't think that's the way that happened. Um, I could tell you stories. I'm not going to because some of you have a habit of when it's just us and I tell you not to tell my wife, some of you have a habit of running to my wife and telling her stories and that doesn't end well for me at home. So I'm not going to tell you any stories other than to say there are times when I have stood before my wife and said, yes, honey, this is the way that it happened. And she gives me this look and she says, are you sure you're giving me all the details? And then I say, know that it makes for a better story. The, the truth on its own merit is unbelievable. And so Joseph had to have courage to believe that God can do all things, including making his virgin wife or to be uh, uh, become pregnant. Uh, it's things that don't make logical sense. Joseph questioned, but when he came to his conclusion, he showed courage by believing that God can do this miracle and that this miracle was necessary for a true Savior to come to the world. And he named his child Jesus. Now, Jesus is uh, the Greek form of the name. That's not the name that uh, Joseph gave to his son. Uh, believe it or not, that's from uh, Greek and then translated into English. It's actually in Hebrew is uh, 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 Joshua. That's that's, that's why uh, a lot of people will, will refer to Jesus as Yeshua. That's why uh, Messianic Christians and, and people in Israel will refer to him as Yeshua because that is the Hebrew version of his name. His name is not actually Jesus. 
is Yeshua. There are no J's in, or, or, or hard J sounds in the Hebrew language. Uh, and so it is a Y sound, and so his name would have been uh, Joshua Yeshua. Uh, and, and that name does mean God will save his people or God saves. And so Jesus' name means God saves, and his title, which is the Christ, uh, means the anointed one. And so when you put his full name and title together, it means God will save through his anointed one. That's the story in the name Jesus. And so we, we use the term Jesus now. It is correct because it is the English translation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew. It gets complicated, but we can call him Jesus, and that is absolutely fine. But his name would have been Yeshua or Yeshua, depending on how you want to translate it. And so Joseph uh, takes the, the, uh, the name given to him by the angel and says, you shall call your son this. Because people will call him Emmanuel. Now, what we need to, to understand here is that Jesus has many names in Scripture. But we need to understand that there is one name that he has, which is given to him by his father. And then there are other names that have to do with his nature and character. Are you with me so far? So, I'll give you, give you an example. Um, my father named me Jonathan. As you can tell, my family named him. It says, uh, my name is Captain Jonathan. That's the name that I was given by my father. However, my friends, some of them, not you guys, call me John at times. Okay? I've got a best friend, his name is Mark, he lives back in Australia, and he calls me John or John Boy, and he is the only one in the world that gets away with it. The reason he gets away for it is because he is six foot seven. And the way we met is, uh, at the time, I was my current height, but I was about 150 pounds. I was sitting at a computer in a, in a college class. He walked in the door and said, that's my spot. And I said, uh, I'm sitting here, so no, it's not. And he proceeded to sit on me. And obviously, after a situation like that, you become best friends for life. He was the best man at my wedding, and he is the only one in the world that can call me John or John Boy. That's not my name. That is a, 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 a title. Uh, he also sometimes sometimes call me Shaji. That's not, that was my online gamer name when we were uh, into computers together. And so I had these, these, these names that people called me, but they weren't my name. And so Jesus himself, his name is Jesus, but he has many titles throughout Scripture. And one of the ones that he's given in this particular passage of Scripture is the, the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. It means that God's presence is now physically here. And so Jesus uh, having his name Jesus, which means God saves, his title, the Christ, which means the anointed one, God will save through his anointed one by being with us. This is a revolutionary concept. I know we're 2,000 years removed from it. Every year we get together and we look at the, 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 the manger scene and, and we get the story over and over again. But no time in human history had a God uh, given himself human flesh, and then proceeded to die for his people. There are stories in other cultures of God coming in human form and then making people worse than, than human form, especially in, uh, in Egyptian and uh, Greek mythology. There are plenty of stories like that, but no story in the, the, the world religious history has been of a God coming and then dying for his people. They come and they demand to be worshipped. They demand to be sacrificed to. They demand that, that the entire nation start revolving around them. But Jesus doesn't. He comes in his humble beginning with his name that means God saves. 
and it means that God is present with his people. He doesn't uh, intervene from a distance, but he's always active, even in the most inconceivable ways. Um, definitely inconceivable to our way of understanding. Like, uh, if my wife came in and she said, hey, guess what, honey, I'm, I'm pregnant and uh, it's the Holy Spirit, I'd have questions. I'd be like, you ain't no Mary. What's going on? Jesus has already come. We don't need another one, right? Am I right? So uh, it would seem inconceivable to me, and yet God often looks at the inconceivable situations, the impossible situations in our life, and he says, nah, I can do better than that. Have you you noticed that about God? He he looks at the situation that you might call impossible. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this situation. I don't know how we're ever going to fix this situation. I don't know how I'm ever going to fix this relationship, or I don't know how I'm going to, to, to finish putting food or keep putting food on the table for my family. I don't know how I'm going to afford Christmas this year. I've got all of these impossible situations that are lining up, and over and over and over again, God sets up these impossible situations just to knock them over and be like, see, trust me, trust me, trust me. And Joseph shows courage by allowing Jesus, the son, uh, literally son from another father, uh, into his life, Joseph uh, will most likely face ridicule and his reputation most likely suffers, yet he shows bravery throughout it all. If your wife gets pregnant before the marriage and you'd be like, no, it's not mine, in that culture, your name gets dragged through the mud. Your name gets, gets beaten down. So who's, who's that Joseph, that carpenter from so-and-so? We don't want to talk to him like, he's, he's, he's whatever. But Joseph shows the courage uh, to show bravery throughout all of it. In a similar way, if we believe that God engages himself, just as the Bible states, our reputation can also suffer and we may find that there are those ridiculing us and it takes courage and certain faith to believe. And so when you look at Joseph, you're saying, yeah, that's a story removed, but you and I, through following Christ, can, uh, can undergo the same form of ridicule that Joseph can. How many times have you seen online or on social media or on the news those Christians they're stupid. They don't know what they're thinking. They don't think logically. They're not smart. They're, they're mired in religious trappings. They're just uh, under the persuasion of these, this, this cult-like stuff, and they just can't rationally think. You see it over and over and over again in our modern society where we are being attacked on our intelligence based on our faith and ridiculed for it. And yet God doesn't ask us to stand up and be like, no, I'm smart. No, I can do this. No, God asks us to stand in faith and say, if you believe in me enough. If you believe in me, there's enough. There's, no, there's a, a, an old saying, um, I'm not sure if it's appropriate, I'm going to say it anyway, and my wife can yell at me later. But the old saying is this, never argue with an idiot, they will drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. A lot of times in Christianity, our task is actually to use the power of the Holy Spirit to rise above the insults that are being told of you. People are going to say that you are stupid to believe in Jesus. It's not your place to say you're stupid for not believing in Jesus. It's your place to rise above that and say, but let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. Courage. Verse 21. He will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
or Yeshua, that he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Even though she's pregnant, he marries her. He shows her respect. He shows her honor. He gives her everything that a wife is entitled to. Joseph is a good guy. Rename the sermon. Joseph's a good guy. From Joseph's response to to this messenger, the angel, and allowing Jesus into his existence, a second aspect of bravery emerges. It's the courage to give up our right to self-determination. In the culture that Joseph lived, it was his right to name his son. It was an unshakable right that the father would name the child, and he would name him a name that was uh, throughout the family tree, something that was important, some uh, patriarchal figure, some figure in the family that had done something great. That's why uh, these names in Scripture are important, because these genealogies show men and women who have done great and amazing things, and every single one of them is named by their father. Uh, Interestingly, when we look at a lot of the names, it has a reference to something that they did, even though uh, they hadn't yet done it when they were named as children. And what what the ancient Israelites and in Judaism believed is that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspires the Father to name the child appropriately that will reflect the deeds that God has laid out for them in their lives. And so Joseph gives up his right to name his son by listening to the angel saying, you shall call his name Jesus. And Joseph says, all right, I'll do that. I'll give up my right under the law in order to follow the will of God. And I can tell you that it's, again, no different than the choice you and I have to make on a daily basis to surrender our will and instead to follow what Christ has for us. The angel, however, takes away this patriarchal right that Joseph had. He had to come to terms with this reality and had the courage to proceed in spite of it. So he has courage. One of the the, the ways we address this in the Salvation Army is we sometimes call it self-denial. And I know if you've got a history in the Salvation Army, when you hear the word self-denial, a lot of times it's equated with income, um, that we give up a portion of our income and it goes towards services. This is is what we call our self-denial campaign. Um, So there's that sort of linkage. But self-denial is not just about our income. It means denying self. I mean, can you get any... It's very simply named, and it's named very simply for a reason. It means that you yourself have an idea, you can have a thought, but is that thought in opposition to the will of God? If it is, you put that self and you deny it over to the side and you follow the will of God. It is completely counter-cultural to today's modern society, which tells you that the world revolves around you. That you're the most important thing in the world. 
how you succeed is the most important thing. You getting that job promotion, you getting uh, that family, you getting that house, getting that car, getting that white picket fence, that's the most important thing for you to attain. And so it is completely different cultural standard. Instead of saying that you're the center of the universe, it says truly instead that God is the center of the universe. And you need to put that self to the side, deny it, and follow him. In fact, uh, I believe Jesus said it best. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is Luke 9.23. So Jesus said, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to follow him, you need to deny yourself and follow Jesus. Uh, and not follow what you think is the best way. Not follow what you see uh, you set out for yourself when you get up in the morning and say, well, I know where I want my life to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Devoid of the word of God, devoid from Christian counsel, devoid from prayer. Do you deny yourself and follow Christ? Joseph gave up part of his, really, his cultural identity in order to deny himself. 21. He will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. How do we see Joseph? I'm getting the slides again. Uh, hey, Heidi, can you do me a favor and skip to the next scripture verse? It's Matthew 1, 21. question is, how did Joseph then react? That's the question. We cannot be in a right relationship with God without the courage to admit that we are a sinner and seek forgiveness. And Christ desires to do that work in us. Once we are forgiven, then and only then can we place Christ at the center. And so the, the scripture verse says that we should call his name Jesus for he will save us from our sins. And what a lot of people do is they treat now the notion of sin. They don't like the notion that you inherently have something bad in you. We like the idea that we're all good people, basically. Right? How many times have you heard that? Well, he's a good person. Well, he does good stuff. He's not, he's not Hitler. Right? And, uh, okay. So here's the thing. If your baseline is, well, they're not Hitler, that's an interesting baseline to me for some people, right? I mean, they're not killing people. What Scripture tells us is right from the word go, you and I are sinful creatures. We're sinful by our nature and by the choices that we make. So not only do you and I have a nature of sin, uh, it says there in, in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 55, it says you and I were conceived in iniquity and in, in sin will be found in our mother's womb. But it also says that our the way that our brains are wired as human is to tend towards sin, that if we were given two equally easy choices, we would tend towards the sinful choice rather than the holy choice because of the way that our brains are wired as humans. And so what we need to understand is that, it's that Jesus, one of the, 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 the reasons he's coming is to save us from our sins, but that, first off, means accepting that we're a sinner. Because if you don't think you're a sinner, then why would you need a savior? 
And so that's one of the, the hardest parts of our message as Christians. In our society today, everyone thinks that they're basically good people. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone recently. I'm not out on the street shooting up heroin. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. Uh, my family, we eat dinner. At the, you know, I put food on the table for my family. We eat together a family meal. I'm a good person by any definition and standard, except the standards of Scripture, which is, I often say, is what we stand on. And once we are forgiven, then and only then do we place Christ at the center of our lives. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and, she, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph did everything that he was asked of him. He showed great courage and absolute faith throughout all of it. And because of this, Joseph was blessed to raise the Savior of the world. Can you imagine being Jesus' dad? I can't. What really boggles the mind, can you imagine being James, the little brother of Jesus? They go down to the Sea of Galilee for a nice day. Jesus is walking on the water. James is sitting there with the sandcastle. A wave comes in. Sandcastle gets washed out. Whatever. Mary didn't pack enough food, so Jesus is there. Don't worry, I got this, Mum. How many more sandwiches do we need? Boom! James is sitting there over the side. James takes the cookie from the cookie jar. Mary, James, did you take that cookie? How come you never asked Jesus if he took the cookie? Why is it always me? I'm just saying, sometimes I feel for James as well, right? How many, how many of you had that sibling that was always perfect? Could, couldn't do anything wrong? Apple of your mother's eye? Like, don't get me wrong, uh, most Jewish mothers think that their child is God's gift. Mary just happened to be right, okay? But Joseph did everything that he asked to do. He showed this courage, he, he showed absolute faith, and because of that, he got the responsibility of raising the Savior of the world. Uh, we, we often think of, we, we look at Jesus' nature and like, yeah, he's Jesus, of course he knew what the right thing to do. But Scripture says that he was tempted in every way uh, that we was, yet was without sin. Uh, scripture also tells us in Philippians that he poured out his divine nature, which means he didn't rely on his divine nature in order to be sinless, which is a, a very interesting concept for us, which means that when Jesus was able to recite Scripture, it's because he had two godly parents who taught him Scripture. Jesus didn't innately have all of Scripture memorized. It was part of their culture to memorize portions of Scripture. And it was their, their, their parents, both Mary and Joseph's responsibility to make sure that their son was raised in the correct way. And so Jesus learned Scripture, and he learned the history and traditions of the Jewish people through his parents. Joseph got to instruct God on God's Word. And because he was obedient, Joseph's obedience was complete, courageous obedience. I got a, I got a whole bunch more, but I don't need it. So I just want to end with this. Joseph's courage should inspire each one of us to ask ourselves, how is God calling us to obedience in our own lives today? Not yesterday, not a week ago, not a month ago. What is God asking you to do in your life today? Just a volunteer balloon and cuddle bear? Just a half hour? Really? 
just to, to talk to that neighbor or stranger in your apartment complex that is just a pain in the butt? You know, you know the ones that live above you and to the left that they always have their music cranked and so your, your, your little nativity scene on the fireplace like jumps up and down at three o'clock in the morning? Is it to talk to that person in love and instead reacting selfishly to the situation, reacting like Jesus? Yet where is Jesus asking you today to show I want you to think of that as we end our time together. Heidi's going to come up and lead us in our choral benediction. But I just want you to end our time together this morning asking ourselves that very simple question. Where is Jesus asking you to show courage through obedience? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've given us today to come into your presence and to worship you. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us can reflect on that question. Where are you asking us to show the courage of faith in our life? I pray, Lord, that you do this to each one of us in the students of this evening. We ask these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus.